You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. When one considers that preventable behaviors are the leading causes of mortality and morbidity among adolescent males, it is curious that when it comes to medical studies and initiatives, this group is often left out. But healthcare professionals do not have to neglect the special concerns of adolescent male patients when caring for this population. Welcome, I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Baltimore, Maryland, is my guest, Dr. Arik Marcel, Assistant Professor at the Johns Hopkins University's Department of Pediatrics and the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Welcome, Dr. Marcel. Thank you. Dr. Marcel, in addressing the health care needs of men, the traditional medical model directs the physician's attention toward early detection and treatment of conditions such as heart disease, hypertension, and cancer. In your article, Health Care of Adolescent Males, you state that the public health model of prevention should instead direct attention to the contributing factors that cause disease. What kinds of personal behaviors are overlooked by the traditional medical model that you believe need to be addressed in caring for male patients? The majority like you said, of morbidity and mortality for adolescents and young adult males is due to preventable issues, and most of them are behavioral issues related to either injury, violence, substance use, um, reproductive health behaviors, mental health. So providers who are cued into those types of issues and um, incorporate that as part of their clinical services can start to help us address these issues in the clinical setting. Your position is that male health initiatives often focus on adults and younger children while neglecting psychosocial and medical concerns of adolescents. How can everyone, you mentioned the single practitioner, but but how can we as a culture better address the needs of adolescent males and in particular their tendency toward high-risk behaviors? You know, that's a great question. and I I think we're still trying to understand how, how to do that. Some of these issues are maybe tend to work better on a more of a public health level. So, for example, drinking and driving and driving accidents. A lot of states have been enacting graduated driver's license. We're seeing that overall states that do that compared to states that don't or the previous history of the state trends around accidents. Graduated driver's license are working toward improving rates around accidents and injury. Um, And the majority of those are typically among young men. And so the reductions of accidents and injury because of these new programs help to improve the health of young men. So there are some systems issues that might work toward improving the health of this population. But at the same time, I think we have to work on helping change the culture of acceptability for young men to get help, for young men to access services, for, for us to have conversations with young men around what are the types of issues that are preventable as part of a clinical visit. And over time, hopefully, that'll help to change cultural norms about the acceptability of of access to care. You know, the statistics around motor vehicle crashes is pretty stunning. If the age-related death for motor vehicle crashes is 56% higher in men than women. And it's common for pediatricians to discuss the importance of the use of car seats with parents of their youngest patients, but shouldn't physicians also be discussing things like seatbelt use, the risk of drunk driving, tobacco and alcohol use, and other high-risk behaviors with their adolescent patients? Yeah, most definitely. And there are guidelines that describe exactly those recommendations, um, including the AMA Guidelines for Adolescent Preventive Services and Bright Futures through the American Academy of Pediatrics. 
With regard to parents and what they can do to help out, what would you advise physicians to say to parents to encourage them to assume an active role in their son's transition through adolescence? I think this is a, a neglected area within our clinical day-to-day work, engaging parents in having discussions with young people. Um, we tend to think more about confidentiality and not talking to parents about these issues because we really need to be just talking with the kids and hearing it from the kids. But I think closing the circle and, and having discussions with parents about what they can do and starting young, even before children enter into their teenage years when we're working with families and young, young families with children to get them comfortable to have these conversations, to provide them resources that they can find useful to help support them. I think a lot of parents lack the knowledge around multiple issues um, that, that we've been talking about, particularly um, reproductive health and, and sex and and might be actually embarrassed to have these types of conversations with young men. We know that moms do a better job compared to dads in talking with their children, but moms also do a much better job with their daughters than they do with their sons and are not necessarily comfortable talking with their sons about pubertal changes and normal events for the boy that are different than what the girl experiences, and dads may not necessarily even be in the picture to have those conversations. So as providers trying to determine how to help and support parents to to do this is something that we need to think about more because I think we just don't have enough of that type of material available. You know, it's interesting that you're talking about maybe parents aren't as well informed as they could be, but it also seems like parents aren't as empowered as they could be. And somewhere along the line, confidentiality seems to have gotten in the way of empowering parents to communicate with their children about health issues and that they are such a powerful source of information and influence over their children that they should be enlisted to help out. Yeah, most definitely. And, and I think there, there is a move you know, in, in the direction to bring parents back into the, into the fold. Let's talk about substance abuse among adolescent males. In your article entitled Physicians' Attitudes and Beliefs Concerning Alcohol Use Prevention in Adolescence, which was published in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine, you state that despite the fact that alcohol abuse is a major health problem, prevention services delivered to adolescents are inadequate. What is the prevalence and quality of alcohol prevention services that are delivered to adolescents by physicians in the U.S.? Specifically for alcohol, the proportion of physicians that are providing screening services to adolescents is about 40%, and this is based on a national random sample of pediatricians and family practitioners, and about 52% of providers were providing education to their patients. It's a little more than at most half of providers were doing the type of work that we were thinking about as higher quality. And This is pretty consistent as compared to other kinds of clinical preventive services delivered to adolescents related to other types of drugs, cigarettes, and also sex and sexual history and sexual risk-taking. So I think across the board, there's a number of areas that we as physicians need to be doing a better job in assessing around our adolescent patients in order to better meet their needs. 
a recent study by uh, some different authors on attitudes of physicians in training toward caring for and working with patients with alcohol and drug abuse diagnoses found that a common perception was held that providing care to alcohol-abusing patients and drug-abusing patients is repetitive and detracts from the care of others. What do you make of this finding? Although I'm not familiar with that particular study, the fact that they're medical students in training and they have those perceptions and attitudes concerns me. I know that from other work in this area, particularly with adolescent patients, physicians who had more positive beliefs in the importance of prevention, were more comfortable with their alcohol and drug abuse management skills, really did a better job of providing such services. So it may be that we need to work on improving these students' skills in working with this type of patient population because alcohol and drug use is starting in the teenage years and even in the early teenage years. And if we don't know how to work with this young age population to prevent and or to stop using these types of substances before they're truly addicted, we're going to have a much harder time in treating them as they get older. Right. It's important to work with these young people. And also, it sounds like it's important to work with young physicians. Do you have suggestions on how to impress upon these physicians the importance of incorporating prevention services in their practices? The first thing I was thinking about is, you know, the state of medical education. And and we should make sure that medical schools have teachers who really know how to work with young people, be it an adolescent medicine physician who is, you know, academic and, and is, is interested in the teaching role and working with young people, um, as well as similar kinds of, of teachers throughout the, the training years into residency um, and beyond. For providers in practice, if they truly aren't comfortable working with young people or topics like drug abuse, mental health, then they should consider workshops and other training um, opportunities to brush up their skills. Uh, because these are issues that everybody in our practice are struggling with. And like I've said before, if we don't ask about it, we're not going to find out about it. And if they may have diabetes, they may be still struggling with other issues that may be impacting their diabetes care, and it's all related. It's just not something that you can ignore. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Arik Marcel, Assistant Professor at the Johns Hopkins University's Department of Pediatrics and the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Thank you for joining me, Dr. Marcel. Thank you for having me. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.